I want you to imagine, if you will, that you are back in ancient Rome, uh, in, in a marketplace in ancient Rome. So if you need to close your eyes to do that, close your eyes, but I need you to go back with me in time and you're at the marketplace. And the reason why you've gone to the marketplace today is because you are wanting to pick out a statue for your home. It is time for you to decorate and you want to pick out a very nice statue for that home, and you're going from vendor to vendor, all of the craftsmen that have brought their wares to the marketplace that day, and you're going from statue to statue, and finally you come across one, and you see a sign at the bottom of that statue that lets you know, this is the statue that I want to buy. And the sign that is at the bottom of that statue has two words on it, and they are Latin. And the first one is the word sine, and the second word is the word sere. If we have any Latin scholars in the room this morning, they will tell you that the words sine sere mean without wax. Now, you're probably wondering at this moment in time, what in the world does this have to do with anything for me today? Well, I will tell you what this has to do with you today. The reason why a statue maker would put a sign at the bottom of his statue or her statue that said, without wax, is because it was very common at that time that after a sculptor had finished making a statue, that it would crack. And in order to try to make that statue look better when they brought it to marketplace, it was often also common practice for them to take wax and fill in the cracks of the statue and then to paint over it to where you couldn't see the cracks. And so when you were going to pick out a statue, you didn't want one that when you got home and put it out in the sun, that all of a sudden you were going to see all of these blemishes in the statue. You wanted to know that the statue you were picking out was what you see is what you get. There's no wax filling in the cracks of this statue. And the reason why the words sine and sere are so important to us today is because that's where we get a word that appears many times in the Bible, and that's the word sincere. And so today we're going to talk about sincerity and how it applies to our lives. Because even though sine sere was something very practical in ancient Rome, sincerity is something that is very important to us. And I want to look at it in two lights. First of all, how it applies to our sincerity with God. And we're going to look at several different ways that sincerity with God applies to us today. And the first is sincerity before God in our prayer life. There was a very common practice in Jesus' time for people to pray in public. And the Pharisees were very famous for their prayers in public. In fact, there's one captured in the Bible where a Pharisee stands up and says, Thank you, Lord, for letting me not be like this sinner over here. And he goes on to talk about how blessed he is and how wondrous he is. And he's condemned later for the fact that he was so hypocritical in his life. And so Jesus later on gives a warning to the Pharisees. And he gives a, a lot of what are called woes to the Pharisees. Woe to them for this. Woe to them for that. And nestled in the middle of these woes in Matthew chapter 26, or, 20, or I'm sorry, 23, verse 27, is this one. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside. On the inside are full of bones and everything and of the dead and everything unclean. 
Not a very pretty picture. He said, you look great on the outside. You look like that statue that's full of wax and then been painted over. You look pretty on the outside. You've been whitewashed. Have you ever whitewashed anything? You kind of just make everything look new. A whitewashed fence can take an old dingy fence and make it look new for a little while. And that's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees that day. Your prayer life has made you like a, a tomb that looks good on the, ins- or the outside, but on the inside, it stinks. Your prayer life stinks to me. I don't know about you, but I would really rather Jesus not look me face to face and call me a whitewashed tomb one day. I'd want him to, to not see my prayer life and think, well, that sounds good. But on the inside, you stink. And that's the first area of sincerity that we should all be striving for. Sincerity with our prayer life because God can see through our hearts. He can see through all of the attempts that we make to try to conceal things. The ways that we're able to try to to make believe in front of other people. God's not fooled. God's not fooled by any of those things. And he sees right through, right to our heart. And so if we're going to try to fool anyone, it shouldn't be God. God's not going to be... uh, uh, tricked into thinking something that uh, is not there, not believable. The other, the next thing is sincerity before God in our worship. This morning's worship time was uh, so beautiful. I I got to experience it twice and it was equally good both times. And our worship time is a moment for us to tell God how much we love him. We're singing songs about praises to God taking those opportunities to say, Lord God, I love you. I worship you. And if our worship is not sincere, then the words that are coming out of our mouths are just lies. There's no truth to them if there's not true in our heart. So our lips might be saying, Lord God, I love you. You are Lord of my life. I give you my life. And in our heart, we're saying, but don't ask me to do that. We might say, Lord God, I trust you. I put my faith in you. But in our heart, we're saying, but I don't trust you with that. Our worship has to be sincere. Our worship must be truthful because, as mentioned before, God's not fooled. God's not fooled by anything that we attempt to do in order to just give him platitudes, say words that make him feel good because he's not impressed. He's not impressed by our worship if it's not sincere, if it's not from our heart. Another area that we need sincerity before God is in our devotions. I think that there's a lot of uh, folks who are, are constantly feeling like, well, I don't spend enough time in prayer. I don't spend enough time reading the word. I don't spend enough time in devotions. God is not as interested in the quantity of time that you spend in devotions as he is in your sincerity within that devotion time. If your time that you spend is spent reading one passage, but it is a passage that you meditate on and take into your your life and you try to live your life better because of it, that one passage means more than sitting down and, and reading 12 chapters a day. If at the end of the day, all it is is a check mark that you say, okay, I've read my Bible for the day. Or for you to be able to tell someone else, you know, yeah, I finished reading the Bible for, through for the, the fifth time. That's not important to God. God wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants your sincerity in your devotion time. The last area, or the next, sorry, another area is in our giving. 
Every week we have the opportunity to give in our tithes and offerings. But our giving is something that is very important to God. He wants to see our heart. He wants to see that that's something that we do willingly. I have a scripture here from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. And it's very simple. It just says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's not commanding that we give. He wants us to be giving willingly in our hearts. He wants us to be giving because that is something that we can be cheerful about. If when we're giving, we're thinking, oh man, I wish that God didn't want a tithe. I wish that he didn't want that part of the money. If that's what our heart is thinking, then we're not worshiping God with our giving. He wants us to worship him with all that we do, even in the something as simple as our gifts. Then we come to our attitude. Our attitude is something that God knows whether we try to let him know it or not. He knows our attitude and all the things that we do and all the things that we say. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of driving down to uh, Suwannee, Tennessee, a beautiful area. There was a football game down there that we were going to, and my dad was riding in the car with me, and we were talking about old TV shows. And one of my favorite old TV shows, some of you may be uh, young enough or old enough, rather, that you... Uh, that you remember this one is Leave It to Beaver. How many people in here ever watched Leave It to Beaver when they were growing up? All right, a few people. And there was one character, though, in that show that I just could not stand. You know who it was? It was Eddie Haskell. Oh, I could not stand Eddie Haskell. And every time the show would be on, Eddie Haskell would walk into the Cleaver household, and he would say, How are you doing, Mrs. Cleaver? It's so good to see you. How are you doing, Mr. Cleaver? It's just such a pleasure to be here in your house today. And he was just so syrupy and fake. And then he would walk into Wally's room and he, he would completely change. And he'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, your parents just don't understand. They don't get it. They think that you're doing this and you can really be doing that. And he was the devil, you know? <laughs> he really was. And he was always trying to get Wally and, and Beaver to do things that they, they shouldn't do. And he was the epitome of insincerity. He was this person who tried so hard to put on an act, but you could see right through it. And you know, Ward and June were never tricked. They saw right through it. They knew that he was mocking them as soon as he went into the next room. And God is the same way. He's not tricked. He's not fooled by our attitude. He knows if we're mocking him, when we turn our, our heads. And Galatians 6, 1 through 7 says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, then they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Our attitude is what we sow, and we're going to reap accordingly. 
And God is not fooled by our attitude. When it's wintertime, we all tend to uh, put on a couple of extra pounds, right? Around Christmas time, around the holidays, we're eating food that we probably shouldn't eat. But what's the one redeeming thing about wintertime? Sweaters, that's right. You can cover up a multitude of fat with a sweater. <laughs> that's, that's one of the greatest things about uh, winter clothes is being able to, to hide the fact that uh, I ate about four too many uh, helpings of turkey on Thanksgiving Day and had about uh, 50 too many cookies during Christmas time. And so we have that way of concealing things. But what happens when you're in your own room and you're about to get in the shower and you walk by the bathroom mirror? You're not fooling anybody. It's completely obvious to you at that point in time where all that fat has landed. God has an intimacy with us, an intimacy that he sees all of those things. For those of you who are married in this room, there was probably a day right before you got married where you were a little bit nervous. You were a little bit nervous because you knew there was going to come a time when your spouse would know all of those things about you. You know, how you wake up in the morning, how your breath smells, how, you know, whatever things that there are about you. You know, you can probably think of things that you're, you're just surprised that even to this day that your spouse still loves you in spite of all of those things. But it's because of that intimacy. I, I, I could be dying of embarrassment if Gayla were to tell you all the things that, that she knows from a, a, a wifely perspective about me. But that's how God is with us. Despite all of those things that he knows about us, despite all of those embarrassments that he is aware of, he still loves us. He has that intimacy. He just wants us to be sincere with him. He doesn't want us to try to cover up those things. He wants us to try to work through them and to let those things be known in our lives so that we have the opportunity to, uh, to improve ourselves. So we've got sincerity before God, but that's not where sincerity ends in the Bible. There's also sincerity before man. And one of the ways that we can work on sincerity before man is with our friendships. Friendship is a, is a very difficult thing, but sincerity often is able to help make it stronger. As I think about friendships in history, there's not one friendship that is any stronger to me than that of David and Jonathan in the Bible. David and Jonathan were such strong friends. They shared with each other all of the things in their life. And when you think about it, the irony is, is that Jonathan had every reason to not be friends with David. Jonathan's daddy was the king. That made Jonathan the prince. And I don't know if you know much about royalty, but that means that Jonathan should have been next in line to be the king. Jonathan knew that he was not going to be the king. And guess who was? David, his friend. You think it was easy, possibly, for Jonathan to be bitter towards David? Possibly uh, a little bit jealous of David? But Jonathan had a friendship with David. Jonathan shared in sincerity all of the things in his life. And David shared with him all of the sincer sincerity with all of the things in his life. And they were open to one another. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42... Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. 
they submitted their relationship to God and they swore before God that they were going to be friends first. And that was most important to them, more important than who was going to be king, more important than uh, who was held in, in more esteem within the kingdom. Jonathan and David were friends. Friendship is something that is so important when it comes to really being sincere. If you have a friend and you can think about the fact that they don't know anything about you really, then are they really your friend? Are they really someone who you could go to and say, Carl, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me because, and you start to tell him, I've got this thing that I'm dealing with. I've got this issue. If he's really my friend, then I can tell him those things. If he's really my friend, then I can be sincere with him. I don't have to worry about trying to use wax to cover up the, the mistakes, the cracks in the edifice that, that have gotten there over time. If he's really my friend, then I can be sincere with him. Another way that we can be sincere before man is in our service. Our service is another way that God is not fooled and man should not be fooled either. If you are doing things out of obligation, you walk into church on a Sunday morning and David or Jason are back in the back and they see you and they say, hey, can you help us out with the offering today? Yeah, I can do that. It's just another obligation. And you think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up about five minutes late to church next week so that they don't, you know, they, don't, they don't ask me. I'll come in through the side door and keep my head down and just walk to my seat as quick as I can. Our service is supposed to be something that we do for God, before God. But it goes to the heart of the fact that we're also serving man. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul is talking to slaves and he's challenging them. He's giving them encouragement that even though that they're slaves, that they are, are serving an earthly master, that they have something that they can do to show sincerity. And it says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. If you stopped right there, you might think, well, what does it mean to obey someone with sincerity of heart? But the apostle Paul goes ahead and he explains it in the next few verses. Sincerity of heart means obeying just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Uh, I had opportunity for several years to serve with the, the Salvation Army, and there were uh, lots of things that, uh, that we were involved in as far as service. But one of my uh, life lessons from the Army was a, a, a lady who I uh, came to know. She was uh, the mother of one of my, my friends who was also an officer. And I witnessed her doing lots of selfless things and serving people. And I, I brought her aside one day, and I, I said... How do you do it? How do you look at someone who you know is, is there just uh, abusing the system or that they, they don't smell very good or that, the, you know, I, I named a few things. And how, do you, how do you serve them with such a smile on your face? And she, she looked at me and she said, honey, when I look at them, I look and I just imagine that it's Jesus standing there. And then it's very easy to do all these things. 
All I have to do is imagine the fact that I'm not serving them. I'm serving Jesus. And it makes it all be able to be done. That's a tall order. It's really hard to do that sometimes, to look at someone and to see Jesus in their place. But what did he say? What did Jesus say about that in the Bible? Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. So whatever we do in the way of service to man, if we do it with sincerity, we do it unto Jesus and it's pleasing to him. The last way that we can be sincere, and and perhaps this is one of the, the more important things, is in our witness. What do people say about you? What do people think about you? God is the one who judges our heart, but what is the witness that we're putting out there in the world? If at the end of the day, you pass away and the funeral is held and the person that's giving the eulogy stands up and says, well, here lies Chip, he did the best he could. He tried hard. That's not what I want people to say about me. I don't want my witness to be something that is embarrassing. I admitted in the first service that I I have just a tiny bit of of issue when I'm driving with people on the road. And when Gail is riding along in the car with me, she's very quick to remind me, there's a church sticker on our car. Will you behave? (laughs) There's a school bumper sticker on there. Will you Will you not cut them off? You know, it's kind of hard to have a sticker on your car that says know his love and share his love when you're not wanting to share much love with the person that you just uh, cut off. What is the witness that you have? One of the, uh, the things in the Salvation Army that uh, was, was very present was the fact that you were in uniform almost all the time. And that Salvation Army uniform was very recognizable. It may not be as much here in the South, but in the communities we lived in, everybody knew who you were. And when you wore that uniform, you were very visible and there was no opportunity for you to hide. And so your witness had to be above reproach at all times. Now we don't wear a uniform here in our church, but guess what? When we go out into the community, when we're at work, when we're at home, we're wearing the uniform of Christianity. We're wearing the garments of being a representative of Christ himself. If we've called Christ our savior, then we're representing him in all the things that we say and do. The sincerity of our witness is very important to furthering his kingdom. So what can we do to live our lives sincerely? Sincere means without wax. What is the one thing that makes wax go away? Heat. What source of heat do we have in our spiritual lives? Man, you guys are asleep. First service got that right away. The fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. The fire of the Holy Spirit living in us can melt away any of the wax that we have tried to use to cover up those imperfections in our life. The fire of the Holy Spirit can give us the courage to be able to live our lives with sincerity, to have a sincere prayer life, sincere devotional life, be sincere in our giving and our worship and our service and attitude and in our witness, the fire of the Holy Spirit can melt away whatever wax we have tried to put there. And what else do we have? We have a perfect example of Jesus who lived a life with no blemish. Jesus didn't need any wax to cover up imperfections because he didn't have any imperfections. And he gave of himself 
He gave of himself that we might be able to be seen by God as perfect. His blood covers a multitude of sins. His blood covers us in a way that we don't need any wax. We don't need to try to pretend or hide. We have his blood covering us, taking away all of that spot and blemish that's in our lives. The Holy Spirit living in us, Jesus' blood covering us. We have everything that we need in order to live our lives of sincerity.